Amen. Good morning. Well, <laughs> welcome to Grace. Um, we're gonna we're actually gonna start this service a little bit differently. If you, but you guys can go ahead and stand up. Um, we just came back early from the men's retreat, and uh, it's just an interesting coincidence because the uh, the speaker was talking about um, this title for God, Ancient of Days, and where where that comes from. And uh, actually, it was, it was so interesting because it's like, wow, we're singing that song tomorrow. Um, so I just thought, I, you know, this is something that was just brought to my attention, and I thought. Um, I think it's good and right that we should um, just remind ourselves of who it is that we're singing to and about, and um, just to remember who He is. And, and this is this is from Daniel, and it's a uh, it's a vision that he had. And I'm just going to read this through. And as I read it, just um, I don't know, just take to heart uh, who this is, this God that we serve and who we sing to. Let's just read this together. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took His seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, Jesus. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Um, and so that's where this, this song comes from. And it uses a lot of those same phrases. And uh, I just encourage you, um, as I've been encouraged, let us not make God too small. And, and just something small that we can grasp and feel friendly with. He loves us, but he's a great and powerful God. And he will have a kingdom that will never end. Um, and it's already begun in us. So let, let's sing these words together. Feel free to clap if you'd like to. Sing it out. Dancing in honor, glory and power. Into the ancient of days. From every nation, all of creation. Bowed before the ancient of days.
please pray with me. Let's pray. Father God, as we just sang, we are prone to wander. Lord, we come singing and professing how great you are and what an awesome God you are, the ancient of days. And when we stand in your presence, we are reminded of how small we are and how we sin and how we fall short of your glory and your designs for us. But Lord, we thank you for your goodness that you communicated to us through Jesus by living the perfect life that we should have lived and dying the death that we should have died by taking our place and being our substitute. We thank you that you gave us Jesus on the cross to save us, to forgive us our sins. And we pray that our hearts would be bound to you, that your goodness would be like a fetter, like a chain that that binds us to you so that we would not wander anymore. We pray that your grace would continue to transform us and lead us and change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, 
opened up the gates of heaven and I thank you
for the things you have done Oh, my words could not sell Not even in part Of the dead of love that is old Of the dead of love that is old more and more thankful hearts. God, help us to trust you and put our faith in your truth and who you are, God. God, help us not to take for granted your grace to us. Lord, help us to be a people who who live differently, God, and who seek for your strength daily to make us more like you. God, help us to listen to your truth now, God. Help us to um, see you in it. God, help us to take hold of it and carry it with us. It's your name I pray. Amen. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. My name is Dave McMurray. I'm your pastor here. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, just want to welcome a good friend, not Dave, I'm Dave, but this is a good friend of mine, Johnny Russell. Johnny Russell uh, is a Young Life Director here in Colleen, and uh, has been a great blessing to our church. He's been involved since the church first started, and uh, was actually, I I still remember having a lunch with Johnny a year before we even decided for sure we were going to start this church. Chili's. uh, Chili's, that's right. It's Chili's and Temple, and we were just talking about... Talking about the great need in Colleen. And, uh, you God, bought my lunch. I bought his lunch, that's right. Uh, and he talked me into all this. So I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what happened. But anyway, God's used him as, a, as an encourager in my life and, and using him this morning to uh, give me a break and give you a break from me, which is very important for you guys. Um, important for your long-term spiritual growth that you don't hear me week after week after week. So anyway, I get to sit today. We get to hear from him. He's going to yell and scream a little bit, but we're going to enjoy hearing from God's word from Johnny. So welcome him, please. You're cheering now. You're going to hate me in about an hour. Ah, This little nugget of scripture that Dave has given us this morning is uh, only five verses, but we are really in for a great treat today. And so if you have your Bible, turn it to the book of Titus. If you have a Bible at home and don't bring it to church, you should bring it to church. Just an encouragement. Bring your Bible to church. Bring a pen. Uh, We have a little pamphlet. You say pamphlet or pamphlet? I'm more of a guy. Pamphlet. A lot of people. My wife says pamphlet. Uh, Anyways, that's way side now. I'm going to be full of those all morning. So buckle in, get ready, Grace Bible Church, because we're in for a wild ride. Ready, Dylan? Here we go. Uh, If you're wondering where the book of Titus is, you start in the New Testament. You have kind of the four pillars of our faith, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then that goes into Acts, Romans. You have Corinthians, one and two Corinthians. Then you have God's Electric Power Company. How many of y'all have ever heard that acronym? About 10. Good for y'all. Uh, that is an acronym for 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you're trained in the public school like me, you're not very smart. And so you need kind of acronyms to get you going. So God's Electric Power Company. And then after that, we have the Tea Room. The Tea Room. This is where all the books in the New Testament that start with the letter T, conveniently enough, are all grouped together. From longest spelling to shortest. First and second Thessalonians. First and second Timothy. And then the little book of Titus. So very convenient. Easy to remember. And then to follow that would be the miniature book Philemon. And you probably... You probably have about seven different other pronunciations of that book. I go with Philemon this morning. So if you will, uh, before we actually get into this, this is a unique book. As Dave has said, Timothy and Titus uh, are Paul's pastoral letters, his pastoral epistles. And to throw in Philemon as well, those four books, those differ from all of Paul's other letters why? Why are those four books different than all of Paul's other letters? Does anyone know? They're written to individuals versus the churches. So here we get, we get a peek in on one man's personal story, personal challenge to another man. Whereas in writing to a church, he's writing to a group of people. And so we get this privilege to peep in, to peer in into this personal letter that is so applicable to not only Titus, but to you and me today as well. So let's read Titus 2, 11 through 15. It says, for the grace of God, that's incredible, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us, who gave himself up, or gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a gift it is to open up uh, this manna that you have given us this morning. Lord, may we eat of it. May we drink deep of it. Lord, may we be challenged. May we be changed. And would we live in your image? We live differently, God, because you have called us to this. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning. God, thanks for getting us out of bed. We are alive. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, well, there is this new thing. I'm going to hopefully educate you guys on this new thing they have out. It's called the World Wide Web. Ha- have y'all heard about this thing? R- rumors. Tim has only heard rumors. It is a fascinating and very, very informative place. Uh, you can find good things there. You can find bad things there. 
all on this thing called the internet. I like to call it the interweb. Kind of combine the World Wide Web with the internet, the interweb. And so what you do is you get on this new contraption called a computer. Used to be really big, like the size of this church. Now it's really small, like the size of your Bible. And you type on it through something called a search engine. And and you type in, so so our church has a website. And so you would go to www.begrace.org. And there in the blink of an eye, in an instant, depending whether you have dial-up or or broadband. Do people still have dial-up? Does anyone still have dial-up? Thank you. Scott over here is a computer guy, and he was like, oh, no, they didn't. You know, he was looking around. The, uh, I was like, if you, need, if you have dial-up, I'm going to lend you like $3 so you can upgrade. Uh, so you can pull up begrace.org, and literally on that site, you can find everything you need to know about our church. Where we're located, the times of our services, our values, what we believe, who's the pastor, his, uh, his telephone number so you can call him. I love to prank call still. I'm 33 and I love prank calling. Although I really feel like caller ID has ruined my kind of reputation. But if you use star six, seven, it comes up unknown. Still got it. Right, Ted? So uh, you can really find whatever you want, and it's really scary what is on the Internet. And along with the Internet, they have these new things out. I think they've been out like six, eight months now. They're called social networking sites. Have you all seen these things? Kind of for starters, they have this one called MySpace. It's a space for you. It's it's. Unbelievable! You can put whatever you want. And you think people are closed off. All you have to do is check out their MySpace. People will put some very personal stuff on their MySpace. And to go along with that, you have another one called Facebook. This is a book for your face. And it's really funny. How many of y'all have Facebook? Most of y'all. Absolutely. I don't have Facebook. I'm a Christian. Uh, and so, um, I, I, and just to kind of, you know, get us all going, uh, but so, but, but Facebook is really funny. I, I, I'm going to have to say, and it's kind of weird too. And here's why I, I've been doing, uh, I've been on, I've been in full-time ministry for almost 11 years now. And I work with high school kids, crazy high school kids. They are a mission field. They look different than you, they smell different than you, they act different than you, and they definitely speak and dress different than you. And so uh, they're constantly telling me, Johnny, you have got to get on Facebook. Facebook will change your life. And I'm like, seriously? Like, what is it? And and so uh, Facebook is not only for, for the young, it's also for the old. You know, there's grandparents I know that have Facebook. My parents have even dabbled in it a little bit, which is awkward. Uh, but I'm like, so, so Facebook, this book for your face on the Internet for you to, to really, it is the best way for Americans to incriminate themselves. I'm baffled by what people put up on their face space. And so I tell people, well, tell me, tell me about this thing, this Facebook. And, 
It is great. You will love it. You can keep up with people and really you get to connect with old people. People you went to elementary school with. Like, dude, that was four years ago for you. How have you lost touch? You know? (laughs) But for some of it, it was a little more than four years ago. And so, I will tell me about it. You can reconnect. It's great. Oh, my gosh. It's wonderful. And and they said, yes, they put... Words up there that you get to that you get to read about their life, images. That's the best thing. And so naturally, the thing that comes next for me, I'm clicking. Like I'm clicking like a chicken. I love people. I love to connect. Like I'm all over that. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm getting it. So naturally, I go. Well, you you see all these things on the World Wide Web on their face space, but why don't you call them? Literally. Everybody, minus the small little group in full-time ministry, says, Well, I don't want to talk to them. I just want to keep up with them. And so I go, So basically, you're a window peeper. You're a peeping Tom. You want to peep into someone's life, enjoy it, see what they're doing, even talk about it with other people but not get too involved. Is that true? Yeah. You know what I call that? Creepy. (laughs) Really, when you shake it all down, people are telling me, oh yeah, so-and-so, Chip Daniels, he's up to this. I'm like, oh, I didn't know you knew Chip. Well, I don't, but I look at his Facebook. Hey, you got problems, bro. That's weird. People are weird. But you know what? I think... How incredible it would be if God had a Facebook. Wouldn't that be cool? We could know what God was doing. He'd be writing about us. Who is his favorite? Do they have like that? that you know, I, I, I've seen these things. I have, you know, your list of friends. Are those? Do you get to rank those friends? Or is that like only on your cell phone? Well, whatever. If God had a Facebook, literally, I would want to be number one. And I know I would because I'm God's favorite. So we could get to see, we could peep in on God and go, what is God doing? What has he done? And really, I think the church, the body of believers loves to hear about what God is up to. How is he moving? How is he impacting our lives? So if God had a Facebook, and I feel that many of us look at God that way, that God came here, he created the world and he did a mighty work and then he retreated and he just peeps in on us. He doesn't want to get too involved or at least we don't think he does. We don't think that our God wants to speak to us and have a relationship with us. And so I've coined this phrase that hasn't taken off like wildfire like I had hoped it has. I did a patent. Uh, Not really. But I call these people Facebook Christians. People who want to peep into God's life, read about them, but not get too involved. To keep God at an arm's length. I don't want to talk to them. I mean, I don't want to really live for them. But, But I think it's great that I know what he's doing. Is that us? You want to know why Facebook is empty and it doesn't satisfy? Because it's fake 
relationship. It's not real. You want to know why religion is empty and it doesn't satisfy? Because it is fake relationship. This is baffling. I hate when people call me religious. Because I don't think Jesus was religious. I think the last thing Jesus wanted to do is to come to earth and start another religion. No, he came to abolish all of that. Jesus says, I have come to have a real and intimate and engaged relationship with my creation. But yet we keep him at arm's length. and Say, no, God, I just want to know about you. I don't necessarily want to know you. So I'm going to come to church. And I'm going to keep you at arm's length. But luckily, this scripture here is not about that. This scripture, this little gold nugget that we get to see is about a God who engages us, who um, abandons everything to come to you and me so that he can be known. So that his creation can know him and we can be changed because of it. And so we get to see that. And so in this little passage, we're going to get a, a bird's eye view, an intimate view of why God hates Facebook. Just kidding. I don't think God hates Facebook. Don't get all crazy. Hope you'll come back next week. <laughs> I won't be here, so Dave will be back up. A little more mellow. We get to see God who came. A God who died. A God who was engaged. And a God who calls you and me to action. To do something about this great gift that he has given us. And so buckle up, it's going to be a wild ride. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Titus 2, 11. It says, for the grace of God, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. For the grace of God. We're going to stop right there. We're going to kind of uh, exegete as kind of a, a, a cemetery word. I, call, I don't call it seminary. I call it cemetery. That's where guys go to die and to lose their flair for Jesus. Uh, this is a kind of a seminary word. It's exegesis, exegetical. Can I say that in here? Is that okay? That's okay. Dave gives me a lot of freedom. That's why I like this church. There's a lot of things you can't say in other churches. Uh, that's why I'm not there. Uh, first, we're going to try to attempt to grab grace. Like, what is grace? What is grace? Uh, reading in the chronological Bible, as our pastor has challenged us to do, I was reading on Thursday, and in that, we get to see in Exodus 19, uh, really, I'm going to read just verse 5, but Moses, they've come out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, all the people are dead, Israelites are living it up. Of course, they're always complaining. My land to those people complain and grumble a lot. Golly. But here Moses is. He's met with God. He's been on the mountaintop. And here is the commandment that God tells him. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then 
out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. That man, that, I like that treasured possession. I like that idea. What I don't like is if you obey me fully. Golly. Good luck. If you obey me fully. Good luck. <laughs> Holy cow. Now, if then. And we see God do this a lot in the Old Testament. If you do this, then you get this. If then. But grace doesn't work that way. Grace doesn't work that way. Grace, luckily, thankfully, grace is not an if-then statement. Grace simply is. Grace simply is. And so, I want to uh, I want to keep us moving in the same vein, the same direction. Along with grace, I think there's two other words that we need to, to um, be aware of. The first one being justice. Justice. Justice is... Getting what you deserve. Agreed? Agreed. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Agreed? Lastly is grace. Grace blows those other two out of the water. And grace sits all over here, over here by itself and says grace is getting good that you don't deserve. Uh, this is a funny story. I was kind of speaking on these three things at a weekend retreat back in uh, back in December telling the East High School there were like you know 300 high school kids there from Corpus Christi there's a weekend retreat called Polar Bear and so I was speaking to them and I'm getting to tell them this justice and mercy and grace and so I'm fired up I have one of my best high school friends with me Chase and we leave that place and we've got you know a four hour drive home so I am getting it done if you know what I mean like that, like I'm on it. I wasn't meaning to, uh, and, but I got caught. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I get pulled over. A police officer, 5-0, cop, whatever you call him, pulls me over. Am I wanting justice? No. No. Mercy. Literally, I look at Chase and go, all right, baby, we're putting it to the test. We're going mercy. We're going all in on mercy. And he comes back, you know, he wants my license and registration. I'm like, oh, man, this can't be happening. Sure enough, he comes back and says, uh, Mr. Russell, what are you doing here? You're from Colleen, so I'm real heavy on the Christian speaking church thing. You know, and I, noticed, and I knew I was in when I looked at his wedding band. It had a cross on it. I was like, oh, yeah, come on. What I'm talking. I'm thinking, come on, brother. Come through for a fellow brother, you know. And so uh, he says, Mr. Russell, uh, here's your license and registration. Uh, you were speeding. You know, you're doing 105 and a 60. Um, <laughs> not really, no. That's my wife. Um, and so uh, he says, I'm giving you a warning. And the, the cop leaves, the police officer leaves. And Chase and I look at each other, and I make sure I roll up the window real quick, and then we just start laughing our heads off. It was so much fun. But when we do wrong, we want mercy. But when somebody wrongs us, sure do. We want justice. But God doesn't operate in the realm of justice and mercy. Our God 
operates in the realm of grace, getting good that we don't deserve. That is your God. That is my God. That is the mighty God that we can serve. There's a band called U2. Any U2 fans out there? That's what I'm talking about. The whole front row. That's right there. Come on with it. They're all like, U2, what's up? So U2, they wrote a song about this same thing. They wrote a song about grace. And appropriately, appropriately named, they call the song Grace. And it goes something like this. She takes the blame, or I'm sorry, grace. She takes the blame, she covers the shame, removes the stain. It could be her name. Grace, it's a name for a girl. And I think this next line is the best line in all all of it. It says, it's also a thought that changed the world. She travels outside of karma. It's a very engaging uh, line for me. We'll come back to that. And then Bono goes on to say, Because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace finds beauty in everything. Grace finds goodness in everything. And I love our, our mission statement. You know, we are Grace Bible Church. And we believe that grace changes everything. Grace changes us. And, and so I was fascinated with this whole karma deal. I don't know a lot about that, but, and, and you're probably thinking, oh, I don't live there, no way. Not that karma, not that Eastern religion stuff. But, but I think after kind of delving into it a little more, I think that you'll find that we do. Because karma, the, well, the one kind of continual theme that I found, it says, my actions determine my destiny. My actions determine my destiny. My gosh, I know churches that believe in that. Because we think that if we're good, then good things will come to us and we'll have a good destiny. But if we're bad, then bad things will come to us and we'll have a bad destiny. Oh, I don't believe in that. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because Santa Claus is coming to your town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to your town. We teach our kids this all day. If you're good, guess what? You get presents. Santa's coming to town. But if you're bad, no soup for you. You know what I'm saying? About six Seinfeld fans in here. That's a shame. (laughs) Oh, my. Oh, my. Karma, from what I have found, is all works-based. That is a dangerous place for Christians to dwell. Karma is the complete opposite of grace. Grace has nothing to do with works. Karma has everything to do. And so there it is. We get to see, we get to experience this grace. And so grace is, grace is not earned, it is not deserved, yet God offers it to you and to me. And and so this grace here in verse 11, it tells us 
that this grace of God brings salvation, this incredible gift called salvation to all men, to all mankind, Jew and Greek, rich and poor, slave and free, black and white, those in Harker Heights and even those in Cove, of course, all the beloved ones in Colleen, that's what I'm talking about, the one Colleenite. Grace changes everything. Even for those who don't go to church, he offers grace. What a gift. This word appeared. I found it really interesting. One of the things that I read says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It says in Greek literature, this can function, the word appeared, can function as a technical term to describe a hero, wink, wink, breaking into a helpless situation to rescue someone from danger. Exactly. That's Superman. That's Jesus. That is exactly what Jesus has done. While we were yet sinners, Jesus kicks in the door and he rescues us from hell. That is what our God does. And are we living that way? What is this grace? What is this gift calling us to? And I believe that it is calling us to action, to move, to do something about it. And we get to see that here uh, in the next verse. And so Paul is telling Titus really that grace teaches us two things. It teaches us to say yes, and it also teaches us to say no. In verse 12 it says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. I'm going to stop right there. Teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. I was raised in the church, but I didn't know Jesus. I would say that I knew Jesus in a Facebook kind of way. I would say I had read about him. I had seen images of him. But I didn't know Jesus. And there is a difference between knowing about something and knowing something and experiencing experiencing that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not sure what that was. From the South. Um... And so I was raised in this church, but I went off to college and really just fell off the deep end. Not knowing Jesus, I lived a life of ungodliness and worldly passions. I did what I wanted, when I wanted, who I wanted, and that was that. I lived however I wanted. And then my sophomore year, I encountered Jesus in a way that blew my face off. Like Jesus kicked in the door of my life and said, I want you. And I was changed because of it. Changed. I mean, that is October 1996. My life, I was headed this way and then I started heading this way. But unfortunately, I lived in a life of danger because I had swung from this wild pagan kid who lived with his hair on fire and I completely swung over here to a Christian life of legalism and judgment. And that is a dangerous place to be. 
I threw away all of my CDs and started to listen to nothing but Christian music. I took down my posters of girls and put up crosses. I kissed dating goodbye. Thank you, Joshua Harris. And I made a motto not to dip, smoke, cuss, or chew, or date girls that do. And so I swung way over there. And, and a lot of times, I think in the Christian world, we, there's safety of that. There's safety over there. And, and so what we want to do in this kind of legalistic, judgmental sense is, is to be in control. Here's what I'm going to do for me and my family. I'm going to remove my kids from public school. I'm going to move out to some countryside in Waco. I'm going to change my last name to Koresh. Put up walls to keep the evil world out. And, and I think possibly, maybe in the beginning, man, there was some purity in that thinking. But all while doing that, you have no relationship with a lost world. And the Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer says this. Schaefer says that we should not shut, or before I go there, he, he warns Christians not to live in a corner culture. Corner culture. Dave has been led to, our title of uh, this book is Counter Culture. Counter Culture. Here, Francis Schaefer is a man as believers, we've got to be very careful not to live in a corner culture. And he goes on to say this. Uh, we should not shut ourselves into a Christian ghetto, listening only to ourselves and losing our ability to understand our culture, to dialogue with it, and ultimately to penetrate it with the message of the gospel. God isn't calling us to a corner culture. You know, I have done ministry for a while now, and, and Young Life is really an outreach organization for high school students. And... Uh, uh, we have Christian kids that come and non-Christian kids. And so I'll, I'll ask one of our Christian kids, hey, I don't want this to become your little youth group. Why don't you bring your friends? He says, well, well I do. They're here. Who? Well, this is James and John. Uh, I'm like, well, they're Christians. Where are your lost friends? Oh, I don't have any of those. Why? Can you imagine if Jesus would have come and he hung out with just James and John and Man, they did great things with themselves. They went deep in the Bible. It's wonderful. But they never penetrated a lost world with the gospel. Can you imagine that? I hope not. And so as one group swings way over here and says no, I think in a sense that another group kind of swings completely on the opposite end. This one is all about law. This one's all about grace. And they take this kind of list of taboos, this do's and don'ts. They crinkle it up and chunk it out the window. I say, oh, no. Man, God's grace is sufficient for me. I'm going to watch whatever I want, live however I want, speak however I want, because God's grace is sufficient. <laughs> and really, this group is no better than the last. Uh, we do have Christian kids come to Young Life, and on one end, we have some who just have only their little Christian bubble, and on the other hand, I say, dude, why don't you bring your friends to Young Life? They're here. I'm like, that's awesome. Where are they? These are my five pagan friends. That's wonderful. You have any Christian friends? Oh, no. 
watch it. Well, dude, you're beginning to live just like them. And then I think, can you imagine if Jesus came and all he did is go to the Pharisees and he hung out with just them? Kind of started doing what they're doing. I mean, that's what everybody's doing. But he never told them the gospel. He never penetrated the lost culture with the good news. Can you imagine that? And so one group, I feel, uh, puts up all walls over here. This group puts up no walls. This group kind of wants all accountability. And this group wants no accountability. And, And I think really, if we meet in the middle, we can find a happy medium and say... There is some, uh, a great place to be. We can get great things from each of those groups. We can also get very dangerous things from each of those groups. I will say that I chuckle uh, to myself when I hear what some of the body of Christ watches or listens to. And you're going to have to hear me. This is not a I'm better than you deal by any means. This is just a personal conviction for me. And so I'm really, uh, I kind of put out my feelers, my antennas about, okay, am I going to go see that movie? If I am, I'm going to check with people. One, is there nudity in it? This man does not need to be seeing nudity up on the movie screen or in the TV. And so if it does, I'm rolling out. And so I will ask people, I'm say. Dude, you really went and saw that movie? Yeah, I know, man. It, I know it's inappropriate. I know it is, but man, it is funny. And that's hard to argue with because I love to laugh. Seriously, I love to laugh. I feel like I was created to laugh. But I go, man, is that really what's best for your heart? Is that really is what's best for your soul? For your eyes? And I know for me it's not. And so Schaefer goes on to kind of talk about these entertainments, the things that this world offers, and he says this is the reason we are partaking of the entertainments that are poisoning the minds and morals of many in our society, truly, so we can redeem them. The Bible says we must cling to the good. And hate what is evil. While we cannot read one another's hearts, we should be willing to examine our own hearts as to whether we truly hate what is illicit, <coughs> immoral, or indecent on the screen. And here's three challenges Are we outraged, out for redemption, or just out with the rest of culture for the Saturday show? That's really challenging. And so if you're thinking, I'm not really sure kind of where to live, like what realm, do I live over here, do I live over here, what's appropriate for me? God lives in you. If you profess Him and acknowledge that you are a sinner and that He died for you and have invited Him into your life, He wants to kick down the door and move through you. Not this whole Facebook Christian stuff. And so I think as a, as a starter kit, we have a great glimpse into this. And it's, um, Paul's going to tell us, tell this to the Ephesian church in chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. It says this, uh, But among you there must not even be, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality 
or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Right now, I'm doing a pretty good job. Uh, uh, Sexual morality, check. Or any kind of impurity, almost a check. Or of greed, uh, easy check. Never been greedy, I'm fine with that. These are improper with God's holy people. But this next list is a kick. Gosh. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place for God's holy people, but rather thanksgiving. Now, if you're in the army, this is probably not a struggle for you. Or if you deal at all with the lost world, this is not a struggle for you. I know there's no obscenities in the army. There's very little foolish talk. And there's almost rarely any coarse joking. Right? Negative, Ghost Rider. No, like that's the world we live in. And it is very easy to get sucked into that, to get pulled into that. And Paul is saying, be careful. Be careful. And again, not because it's the right thing to do, but because God is moving in you. Because God is moving in you. And so here we also see that verse 12 also teaches us to say no, but it also teaches us to say yes. It teaches us to say yes to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. When? In this present age. Ah, uh, this is incredible. I love the words, uh, present age. When are, we call, when are we called to do this? Right now. Right now, believers. Right now, body of Christ. I talk to so many high school kids. What's keeping you from becoming a believer, of getting saved? Well, I, right now I want to have fun. And I'll kind of do that when I don't know how to have fun. I'm kind of old and washed up. And, you know, I don't really know how to sin real good. Come on. Like God is calling us to this right now. To have action today, right now. And not only action, but He's calling us to live a self-controlled and upright and godly life. And I want to be really careful because you can have the first two without the last one. And if you're simply telling people that to become a Christian, all you have to do is do this and don't do that. That's called behavior modification. That has nothing to do with Jesus. He says we are self-controlled, we are upright because we are godly. Because God is changing us from the inside out. That is what God is doing in us. There's even kind of this weird subculture of teenagers that's been around since really kind of the, the 1980s and kind of raised its head again. It's a group called straight edge these people don't drink they don't cuss they don't have sex they don't do any of these bad things not because of anything that has to do with god for the sole purpose of self-righteousness because they are self-righteous and if you are have a behavior modification and are living this way it's easy to have a self-righteous be up on a self-righteous mountain <coughs> It is cold up there. That's a bad place to be. 
But God is not calling us to self-righteousness, but rather to grace producing in us self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Believers, and I am in this with you. We have got to get control of our tongues. We have got to get control of our minds. Guys, we have got to get control of our eyes. Are we allowing God to move and to work and to infiltrate us to be different than the rest of our culture? Uh, For a starter kid, I think Paul uh, speaks to the uh, Philippian church here, wanting to know, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to uh, live an upright, self-controlled, godly life? In Philippians 4, verses 8, Paul says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is really a challenge. Can you imagine if we said this to people, to new believers? Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Are we able to tell people that? Whatever you learn or receive or hear, hear me speak, put that into practice. And then you'll be on the right track. Man, that is really challenging to me. But why do we do this? Why do we live like this? Why is God calling us? Is this for ourselves? Is this for something different? And I think verses 13 and 14 say why we do this. It says we live this way in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, his, his treasured possession, not because of if then, but because of grace. Nothing of what we have done, but because of grace. And our response is the end of verse 14. Eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. And so we get to see a God who came, who rescued us from all wickedness and calls us to purify ourselves because he is coming back. He's coming again. And we live in this weird kind of limbo of he came, he broke into our world and he left, but he still lives here through the Holy Spirit. But he is coming back. He's going to kick in the door again to rescue his people. Like, that should make us go, woo! You know, a little hallelujah, pull out a snake or something, a little Pentecostal. We get crazy up in here at Grace Bible Church. You know, like, that should make us go, oh my land, that is where it's at. I had a friend in Corpus, I lived in Corpus Christi for three years. Uh, This guy owns a restaurant, and a great barbecue restaurant called Miller's Barbecue. It's my favorite place to eat. I've got to eat there for free. Uh, I love to eat for free. Uh, but he, he my, my friend Jerry Miller said, really, he was raised in a Christian home, was a Christian, but his life was changed when he was in a club. 
I said, well, what do you mean your life was changed when you were in a club? He said, he was in a club, you know, just getting it on, elbows on the knees, however you want to dance. And, and so he said, literally, this thought comes into his mind. And it, it's almost like God spoke to him. And he says, is this where I want to be? Is this what I want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Ooh. Man. We want to be in the club when Jesus comes back? That should make our papa proud. I want to be looking at porn when Jesus comes back? Should make my father proud. I want to be gossiping about someone behind their back? Should make my father proud. Man, I was really challenged by that. So I think grace calls us to something different. Not the law, not complete mayhem. But he calls us to live a different way from a lost world. One commentary said this in regards to this grace, this love that calls us to action. We must be very clear about all of the requirements of grace. If anyone says that what we do earns God's love, that is legalistic trash. Oh, this next one is very challenging. If anyone devises standards for us to follow that cannot be proven from Scripture, that is the rubbish of Phariseeism. But if anyone says that it does not matter to God or His people what we do, that is selfish, unbiblical, and damaging to the gospel of our Lord. That's strong. The way we live is our response to God's love. The way we live is our response to God's grace. He is calling us to a higher standard as His children. In verse 15, and not only us, but us to do these things. In verse 15, we see, says, These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. And so I think we're really called to three tasks here. The task one, to teach. Are we teaching this message? Are we proclaiming this message? Do we only have Christian friends in this corner culture? Or are we simply living way out here and never speaking about it? Where are we? And then we're called to a task of encouragement. Our world is negative. Man, that world will beat you up quick and spit you out and think nothing of it. But as believers, we have the opportunity to encourage a lost world to pour into their life. And may we never leave a lost world without hope. Man, we have the hope of the world inside of us. Open your mouth. Live that way. And then we're also called to the task of conviction. To rebuke. And this is where, well, I don't, I don't want to say anything to them. That's their business. That's not my business. I love making other people's business my own. <laughs> I do. Man, people tell me, you're not my accountability partner. I say, I'm, I'm your self-appointed accountability partner. When you invite me to be your friend, I have just become your accountability partner. And so one guy said this. He said, the eyes of the sinner must be open to his sin. The mind of the misguided must be led to realize its mistake. The heart of the heedless must be stabbed awake. The Christian message is no opiate. 
to send men to sleep. It is rather the blinding light which shows men themselves as they are and God as he is. I love that. Man, I appreciate Adam Parker for getting me this uh, rainbow uh, little wash rag for me to wash my sweat off. Uh, One of the things I love about Young Life, the founder of Young Life said back in early 1940s, he said, it is a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. I love that. I love that. That's what this guy is saying. This is a Christian message. is no opiate to send men to sleep. It is a blinding light which shows men themselves as they are and God as he is. And really, when we see us as we are and God as he is, we can't do nothing but to fall and go, Father, I want you. I need you. Man, it is easy to take a step back and go, I want God out there. It's safe out there. I want him to become too involved in my life. So I would think when you shake it all down, when you rattle it all down, the bare bones, it comes out to this. Lepsog retinuic. That is the solution. That's the answer. Lepsog retinuic. You're thinking, what in the crack are you talking about? Lepsog, is that Hebrew? No. Is it Greek? No. Is it Pig Latin? No. Well, what is it? It's counter gospel spelled backwards. Titus is countercultural. This little gold nugget, I said it's counter gospel because I think as believers, we should live differently. We should love differently. We should speak differently. We should forgive differently. We should encourage differently. If someone asks you, comes up to me and goes, well, tell me who goes to your church. I'm like, well, the Browns, the Teemans, you know, the Sheltons, the Strouds, McMurray, the Sheltons. What, what's Shelton? I'm like, well, Fred, Lana, I have two boys. And yeah, man, Fred, he's off the tar. I got a lanky, the plumber. Yeah, yeah, that guy, that dude's awesome. What do you mean he's awesome? Dude, there is no hint of sexual immorality. He lives an upright and godly life. It's not the Fred Shelton I know. If people are surprised to find out that you're a Christian, you're living wrong. We are living wrong. That's not true, by the way, about Fred. Fred is a dear friend. If we are living like the rest of our world, we're a joke. We are a joke. I think in a sense, as believers, there should be something about us that makes people go, like that that twitch, like what's wrong with that cat? You know, you look at that and go, I think I know what that is, but I'm not sure. That's how people should be with us, with the way we live, the way we love. If we're someone different at work than we are on Sunday, shame on you. Shame on me. Confess it. Man, I was at a heated basketball game on Friday night. Number two, Ellison versus number one, Brian. Hate Brian. I hate everyone who plays Ellison. Go ahead and say it. Man, sports bring out the worst in me. Man, the kid did something inappropriate to the stands, and I made some very witty and funny remark. 
shouldn't have said it. Everybody laughed. And Jesus was like, shame on you. And so I says, everybody, I need your attention. What I just said was inappropriate. I need you to forgive me. Man, that is hard to do. Because, man, I, my wit, my tongue is quick and it is sharp. My mind is always moving. Not always with great things either. Whole coarse joking deal. Foolish talk. God calls us to live different. So I hope you're challenged by this. Not to live a life of legalism and judgment. Not to live a life of, I can do whatever I want. Pray that God would change your heart. That we would live Lepsog Retinuic. I'm going to pray and then they're going to show a little video. And I'd love for you to stay around. It's a YouTube video um, to the song Grace by YouTube, uh, And the words are powerful. And I hope that you'll stay around if you need a skedaddle. I know you like ex-Baptists need to get to Golden Corral real quick. Um, but just take, take a chill pill. Just chill. Just a little bit. We're, we're winding down. I know I've gone long. That's okay. But I'm on the mic. I'm on the mic. So a little four minutes, eight seconds. Won't do you any, it won't do you any harm. So let me, let me pray. Thank you, guys. Y'all been a blessing. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace and for the gift of salvation. Pray that it would change us. Lord, forgive us if we walk out the door and deny you by our lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Shame on us. Pray that we are challenged, that we are called to action to live a different life. A lepsog retinuic, a counter gospel. Thank you, Father. Thank you. It's in your name. Amen. Here's the video.